Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got Aaron Blasey with me here today, and we are sitting in Kansas on a scorcher, going to be about 103 today, and thought no better time to talk about early season whitetail hunting. And when I say early season whitetail hunting, we are going to get extremely zoned in and just talk about September. Yeah. East, yep. East Coast um, hunting in September, thinking Kentucky, like youth season in Michigan that I've got a lot of experience with, and then uh, out here in Kansas, which I've done a couple of times in their early season muzzleloader hunting, and just talk about what it is to hunt early how you hunt the difference between in Kansas and Kentucky yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, September specific here and you know <clears throat> you've had a lot of experience and with it and also what is kind of apparent I mean we're on a on a September muzzleloader hunt right now in Kansas so mm-hmm. that's why we're like let's get into this but you know where we're at here it's it's really open. You know what I yep. mean and it's vastly different from back to back east when now you brought a good point. Like a bachelor group back east might come in with six shooters in it, yep. and out here you're hunting a specific deer. Yep. You know, so that was pretty, pretty uh, eye opening to me. But yeah, I got a list of things here um, that I want to kind of pick your brain on, and just kind of bounce back and forth here. But I guess first and foremost, let's talk about the weather because oh man, I mean, no matter it seems like where you go in September whitetail hunting, it is a scorcher. It's it's hot. It's a, it's just the time of year it is. Yep. So I've got a ton of experience in Kentucky hunting, and so Kentucky archery starts the first Saturday in September every year. So obviously it changes based on that day every year, but it's the first Saturday in September. And you think about Kentucky weather in September, you're in the 90s every day. Yep. Certain times. I remember, I think it was four years ago, the opening day I was hunting a, a buck called Brutus, and it was 100 degrees sitting in the stand. <laughs> and you, you get there four to five hours before dark, and all you do is sweat for four or five hours knowing yep. – that really it comes down to that last 15 to 20 minutes because it's yep. so hot, the deer don't move until then. Yeah. So let's talk a, a little bit like clothing system. I want to know what you 
use to combat like the sweat. I mean, it, it is it is what it is. You're gonna sweat, but what? Do you, I mean, there's really hardly any scent control that you can really well, do for that. So so yeah, early season. What I tell everybody is is first and foremost, like you you're thinking you're archery hunting. Say you're in Kentucky, you're archery hunting. Man, I gotta control my scent. Yeah. Well, number one. There is not a thing that you can do about your scent Mm-mm. as far as clothing-wise because you're in a stand, it's 95 degrees, plus you had to walk into that stand, and the sweat, you can't control it. you got to drink water. you got to do that. So you 100% just have to hunt the correct wind. If the wind's not right, don't go to the stand because those bachelor groups are coming in there, and they're coming in for a reason, but if you blow them out, they're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, we do try the ozone units a lot in Kentucky, just anything that we can get to help. Well, I say it's a it's it's a no fail, absolutely not. Because right. if you get it, if you just hunt the wrong wind, the ozone's not not going to do it. If you have a wind that isn't strong and sometimes lays down, so if you're in like a four to seven mile an hour wind, like mm-hmm. at seven, you're like okay, it's it's breezing pretty good and blowing behind me, but then all of a sudden it stops and it kind of just does. You know how it does that dead air? Oh, and you're, yeah. you're like, I can just picture my scent just hanging around me. Mm-hmm. We've had times that yeah, that ozone probably helped us there. So we, we encourage it. I don't think it, it hurts. I never think it hurts. So if somebody has one, bring it, use it to hunt. Like I use one, um, and I've used it a lot in, in Michigan too early season, just hunting along the lake that I know the yep. wind swirls a lot. I think it has helped a little bit. Does I Do I say it's a, a fail-safe? Absolutely, absolutely right. not. But that's – as far as scent control, like that's the only thing you can do because you mm-hmm. can't control the sweat. So uh, I wear – I'm a big believer in long sleeve shirts. One, I just – again, early season – they're going to be bugs no matter so many ticks and chiggers in (laughs) Kentucky and a lot of those places here in here in Kansas same thing the mosquitoes are going to tear you up so as badly as I want to wear a short sleeve t-shirt just to keep the airflow I always wear long sleeve just as a as another layer again we do have a a lot of thermocells running too in Kentucky because if you don't there's no way you can stay in that stand for seven or for four hours at the end of the day the mosquitoes are going to tear you up so you got thermocells running um, but long sleeve shirts, then just as you're wearing one layer, it's a long sleeve shirt, nothing underneath the pants, the lightest pair of pants that you can get that if they can give you any airflow, the better mm-hmm. socks. I always wear wool socks cause you're going to yep. sweat in your, in your boots. I do not wear rubber boots early season to wear October archery hunting. I almost always wear rubber boots. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. Like I don't have long hikes in. I just right. like that. The grass always has dew on it. Mm-hmm. And just, I like that. But early season, I don't, I wear leather boots just because again, you're going to get hot. I want something right. that's not going to take my whole calf all the way down. That's going to get me extremely warm. Yeah. And the wool socks too. People might be thinking like, why are you wearing a wool sock? Well, and when it's that hot, I mean, I wore wool socks. I wear the darn tough socks yeah. and I mean, my feet sweat, but they—you're not like your feet aren't it, soaking it wicks, wet. It wicks it exactly. away. Yeah, if you got cotton socks, it's going to sit there like a wet sponge on your foot, and it's yep. just going to be miserable. That wool sock's going to pull it away, and after a couple yep. minutes, it's going to be dried out again. Yep. Hey everybody, month of October, tag season still rolling along here. We've got three deadlines you got to make sure to check out. October fifth, the state of Utah has their mountain lion deadline. Arizona on October eleventh for spring bison and spring turkey and October 31st and in the end of the month here Wyoming has their point only so make sure to get applied for that one
so I was down in Kentucky earlier this for the opener, and it was hot, but it was raining as well. So you're kind of fighting two different battles there. With we went in the stand the first night, and it was supposed to start raining, so you bring in the rain mm-hmm. suit and everything. But also, I was with you. Like I, I wore a wool long sleeve yep. hoodie, not hoodie, but you know what I mean. Um, and it wicked everything away. I sw- you're gonna sweat. sweat. There's no way you're not gonna. No sweat. way around it. Yeah. And you know you got about a 300 yard walk into the stand. And the other thing I did, in tr- or like I I realized when we were down there, the deer came from everywhere. Mm-hmm. We blew out so many deer. Like mm-hmm. we're in the stand, and all you just hear is, fsh, fsh, and you just. But the weirdest thing was is like this big old doe she comes in from behind us didn't even know she was there she's at like 12 yards and just blows at us and i'm like and then she's like looking at us and then she walks right underneath of us and goes right to like the buck bourbon and i'm yep. like that doesn't make sense you know what i mean uh-huh. so we did blow a lot of deer but we killed a big deer that night too so yes play the wind but that early do they in your interest or your you know experience do they really care too much so here's the thing like if if we get super super narrow here and talk kentucky early season they haven't been hunted yet Mm -hmm. they're used to a ton of different scents in the field as everybody gets their feed piles going and so forth they're coming to the field once twice three times a week so that sense there they haven't had hunting pressure since december usually so they're, they haven't had anybody sit in a stand. So there's all these things that are going. And if you think about summer whitetails is they see people and they're used to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that deer may be going, but then in the back of her mind she's going, well, that scent's been here every week for the last five weeks. Yeah. So, okay, I'll, I'll continue on. Now, killing, don't get me wrong, killing big bucks early season, October, November, killing a big buck takes – takes a lot mm-hmm. the the beauty part about early season is they're still very patternable yeah that deer the majority of the time is coming to a, a food source or water early season it's all about is he going to show up in the last 10 minutes of daylight or is he going to show up in the first 10 minutes of dark yeah and you're just playing you're playing that 20 minute window of when he's going to show up what you have to do to be able to control the controllables is hunt with a good wind Make sure that deer has been regular. So does he show up seven days in a row? Probably not before dark. But has he showed up three or four days in a row before dark over the last week? Yeah, so now you're telling me I got a 50% chance of when I'm in the stand that this deer is going to roll in before. Now the problem is when you hunt early season, there's lots of does and lots of small bucks that are going to be there 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half before dark. So you got to beat them in there, but you also have to hunt to where those deer aren't sitting there blowing at you for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So if those deer are blowing at you, that big buck's going to be like, "Mm -mm, I'm not stepping out here in, in daylight or even coming out again. So they're patternable. So the number one thing you have going for is you know where they're going to be. So now you've got to make it to where don't mess up to where they're going to be and put yourself in a position to be there that last 10 minutes and have them make the choice to come out before dark. Yep. And I will say when, when those does were blown at us, it was early. I mean, we got in, there was like a four hour sit, you know? So like you said, those does come around and then they start blowing at you. But I mean, the buck that we ended up shooting was he came in like the last 30 minutes of Mm -hmm. light. You know, and everything calmed down, but the thermals, the the area we were in, it was it's hilly where oh, we yeah. were at. You know, Kentucky is really hilly, so the thermals had switched. And it was drawn down the hill and everything, and this buck had 
no clue. Not a clue, mm-hmm. and he walks right in. And I mean, he did. He acted like a big, old, mature deer. I mean, he's licking his nose, trying to get the scent right, yep. trying to J-hook into like. And even when you're hunting feed piles, uh, you know, or a bean field, it doesn't matter, or a water hole. These deer like to J-hook in oh, yeah. and get the wind in their favor too. So there is some, you know, there is some tactic to it. You, it's not just sit there and deer's going to show up. Your exactly. Tail, you yeah, know? Yeah, it never works like that. No. Yeah. So. You know, staying on the Kentucky thing, well, let, let's talk a little bit. Um, you know, we're in Kansas right now, so it's vastly different from Kentucky. But let's talk about water sources because, yep. you know, back east, there's a lot of water around. There's, Out here, there's really not. Yeah. So, I mean, how much merit do you put on water back east? So back, so back east, obviously, deer need water, right? Mm-hmm. They, they need it no matter where they're at. Out east, if you look at Kentucky or like in Michigan to where I, I do the youth hunt with Shelly every year, we're, we never think about it. We're pretty fortunate because every area I hunt, the deer has water within 100 yards. If it's a right. creek that's running through, if it's a small pond, if it's just a water hole, like they have deer everywhere. So they don't have to travel to do that. And hunting here in Kansas, it's dry. Mm-hmm. There's not water every year. And I think you've seen this difference of when a deer stands up from its bed here, especially in a drought year like it is this year, they go to water first versus feed. I think Kentucky and Michigan, because there's so much water that they can get throughout the night, and that may be the last thing they do before they bed down, is that they don't necessarily go to water every time first thing. We're here in Kansas, middle of a drought. 100 degrees that deer stands up and the first thing it needs is water so it's not going to the food source it's going to the water source first then hitting feed then water again then back to feed then possibly to bed and that's when you just got to judge each year now if it was here in in not even normal year but one that there was rain to where i think you would find in some of these milo fields or corn fields that you'd get the the ruts and that that little tire rut would hold water for seven days after a hard rain because mm-hmm. it's a clay source bottom or whatever well then it's completely different because that deer will grab water right as he's leaving the milo field and go and hit the feed but now it's like so dry there's not any water anywhere they have to go straight to a water tank for for calves or cows or whatever and find that creek bottom first before they get to the feed and you just got to alternate not necessarily go to a stand and like one thing I the first time I came out here for this early muzzleloader it was on eastern Kansas versus we're kind of in in the western part of Kansas now less trees everything's more spread out like eastern Kansas you could never do what we're hunting here like you could never get to a spot and sit to where you can see most likely where that deer's bedded and trying to catch him as he stands up walking to the water or the feed, like in eastern Kansas or in Kentucky, you have no way of doing that. There are right. trees ever. You you may know where the deer is bedded. Big but you, timber. Yeah, but you can't see him. Like, you literally can't see him until he steps out to the food source that you're hunting. Eastern Kansas, a little bit more spread out, but still the same thing. You can't get on a deer to where he's bedded because most likely it's in a timber source and you can't, you can't get in there on him or see him or catch him moving. And I think that like the hunting that you can do out on Western Kansas here of where you can move and strategize. And like you, you hear Shane who we're hunting with here, he talks about, well, it's just one more piece of data that I've got to make it, to make it move. So you got a guy in the field and he sits and he doesn't see that deer during daylight, but you notice that deer showed up 15 minutes after dark on camera. Okay. So he didn't come from the North or the, the East. So now he's got to be bedded somewhere to the South or the West. And you just start taken down these areas that deer's not showing up on camera until right after dark but he has to be moving 
before dark. Mm -hmm. So now you're moving and you're trying to judge. And every day you're in the field, you start taking down the area that that deer could be bedded and you start increasing your odds on catching that deer coming to the food source or water source. Yeah. And what's crazy to me out here being an Eastern person coming out here is like the deer, like there was a, where we were hunting yesterday, there was a big bottom, like Creek bottom Mm -hmm. with timber in Mm -hmm. and everything. And all these fields dumped down into it. But like what Shane was saying, like the deer don't, bed down in there like they're out in the middle of the mile milo fields yep. bedding up all day and that's that's different for me because back east like they're looking for cover they yep. want and we have a lot of timber so you're just not going to find a deer in early season bedding in a bean field you know no, no. so it's like so different um but like he's Shane so dialed to that like you know he knew that buck was bedded in like a seven acre milo yeah patch and Mm so that what's that's really cool because you know like you talked about the the strategy we can get in with a just off win now it's just like okay we did our part but now the deer's got to get up he's got to stand up for dark yes and last night he beat us you know and so last night when we're hunting it was 98 degrees Mm -hmm. when we got there now the last 30 well the last hour and a half of daylight you could watch it go from 98 to 93 to 89 to right before you could dark. feel it yeah it was 83 degrees so and you could tell the thermals are changing and you're like is he going to stand up or not like you can feel it drop and today's supposed to be 103 but right before dark it could drop to be 80 so now you're in a 20 degree temperature drop, drop that may trigger that deer to stand up. Now, last night what we had, it was supposed to be 15-mile-an-hour winds out of the southeast, and we get there, and it was blowing just about in every direction that you could do. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Early season still has the same weather predictions that October and November have for anybody that's listening. Um, Got to play the wind, and even though the weather may say you're golden for where you're going to be, it, you get there and it swirls, there's nothing there's nothing you can do about right. that. You're already locked in. We made the 400-yard walk, 400 walk across the Milo field to get set up, and you start feeling the wind switch, and you're like, well, we can't get to anywhere else to hunt tonight, mm-hmm. so we're, we're hunkered down here, and now you're just hoping that wind didn't bugger him. Um, but the fact that he didn't show up and didn't show up right on camera, I think that wind just yep. maybe hunkered him down and said, hey, I'm not I'm not going there today. I will say, though, when that wind or when the temperature started falling last night, in my, I'm like, wow, a deer's he's going to stand up any time. Mm-hmm. And the anticipation's high, and I'm just like – you know looking like where's he at and then we had a skunk come behind us i was so locked in i didn't know it was a skunk till shane was like we got a skunk i mean within very you know within spray range spray range and with, i'm like that's with, gonna be a terrible ride home terrible ride home in a terrible <laughs> couple weeks is every time you hopped in the shower you were smelling that on your hand yes yeah so but he didn't show up so um i guess going back to how how much do you put uh in in september this might be a dumb question, but listeners out there that might be learning or, you know, wanting to do a hunt like this, how much emphasis are you putting on a food source? Now, that could be a bean field. It could be an alfalfa. It could be a corn pile, a buck bourbon pile, or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How much emphasis are you putting on that? So if I'm hunting Kentucky, 100%, because that deer is coming to a specific area. Mm-hmm. Um so at Salt River and so forth, and on and on my farm that that I own in Kentucky, it's it's a hundred percent food source. But my farm in Kentucky is um, what we call the the buck bourbon testing ground. So all the product that we have there, we test it throughout the year, and it's a year round food source. So as soon as those deer start growing their antlers, they're on that thing early in the year and come all the way through. And then once you can start feeding, it's the same the same type of thing. So you get them there. Out here, it's a little it's a little bit different because it's so spread out and the deer density is less. 
So I don't think there's as much competition. So, yeah, it's on a food source. But, like, this year you have to completely do away with the food source and go, I need to get on water. You just have to adjust. Now, in Kentucky, like, I don't think you'll ever have that because there's so much water around that I don't think you'd ever do it. It's almost like a bumper crop of acorns. When yep. acorns are dropping everywhere, it's like, well, which one do you pick? Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? How do I pick the right tree? Yeah. Now, if I, if I go, okay, you season in Michigan. This year you can't, you can't feed in Michigan. And the same type of thing, you're hunting early or you're hunting high temps. So what do you do? Well, we have a ton of standing corn around us. So where we hunt in Michigan, I got trail cameras set up and I can tell deer are going to the corn and coming back to their bedding area. Again, they don't bed in that corn. They bed in a, in a thicket of pines. Like I can tell you, we've got 10 bedding areas on our property. The one in front of where our rifle stand is, is probably one of the major bedding areas. And I've caught over the last couple of years, there's usually a giant deer that beds in there. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to do, same thing. You're trying to catch that deer. And I normally only hunt afternoons. The reason being is in, for people that are learning why, why early season do you hunt afternoons is because if you're hunting a food source, those deer are on that food source in the middle of the night. And all the way through. So if you go into a stand or into a blind and try to hunt that, you're kicking that deer off the food source early. Yep. So why do you go there in the middle of the day to hunt the night? Because the deer's not on the food source. So you can slip in there and not, not mess them up. Now, this year, I will say, was the first year that I think we've hunted early during youth season in Michigan ever since Shelly and I started hunting. And the only reason being is it was full moon. So I was, Well, there are two reasons. It was full moon. Saturday, the, the, it's a two-day season in Michigan. It was full moon. So that was going for you. And the next day, Sunday, was supposed to thunderstorm all day. So it took a two-day season down to one. So you'd have one afternoon to sit. But what I, again, watching my cell cams, what I noticed is as it was getting close to that full moon, deer were not out that last hour and a half of the day. I didn't catch the big deer moving in daylight. They were moving two to three hours after sunset. They weren't even moving right at sunset. So I just watched this as it kept getting worse as I was leading to the season. And I'm like, and knowing we wouldn't be able to hunt Sunday. So Saturday, if, if, if Sunday wouldn't have been thunderstorms all day and I knew we could go out Sunday, what I would have done is, okay, we're going to hunt the afternoon on, on Saturday, just cause I don't want to mess up on the food source. Then on Sunday, okay, now we would have got a little more aggressive. We would have hunted the morning and the afternoon. But knowing it was like that, I told Shelly it was Friday Friday night. I saw what the deer did on the cell cam. Like, they didn't come out. I'm like, we got to get up early tomorrow morning and, and go out and hunt. We're going to get up super early, get to the blind, and just see what happens. With the goal of getting in there early enough that everything wasn't starting to go back to the bedding area yet. And it worked out. Like, right at first light, like, there was a shooter right at first light. Shelly couldn't find him in the scope, and he disappeared off that lane. And I was like, ah. Ah, that was it. That, that was chance. That, it was right at like it was three minutes after legal shooting light. And I'm like, Shelly, and she just, it was like, it was tough for me to find him in the camera. And it was grainy. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I think I can see his body. And, and she couldn't find him. And I'm like, okay, I go over to help her try to get on the gun. And I look and I'm like, oh crap, he's gone. And but I, that's the game we play even with in the evening. So oh, it's you're, the same you're thing. fighting yeah, for yeah. that last 15 minutes, but it might be the first 15 yep. minutes. And this yeah. one just worked out that he was gone. Nine minutes later, he came across another another lane, and it was it wasn't like sometimes you'll catch a deer on the fast walk back to bed. Like, hey, I'm leaving the cornfield now. I'm doing this straight walk to my bedding area. Yep. That this was kind of like the hey, 
I was out all night eating. It was a good night. I'm leisurely going back. He was with a couple other bucks in a small bachelor group and, and he was just kind of moseying. And I looked up my binos. I'm like, there he is again, Shelly. And this time it's 15 minutes later. And you know what that difference in 15 minutes of light, she found him instantly. He was quartered two to start as soon as he took one step, turned broadside, had his head down. I just gave her the green light and, and she just did the rest and that was it. Mm-hmm. But normally we would only hunt at night. That was one I just adjusted on the fly and said, Hey, cause of the weather on Sunday, full moon, let's go out. And we're just going to have to take our risk, our chances of going yep. out there and, and buggering them off. And it worked like here in Kansas, like you'd never do that though here in Kansas, because there's no spot you could get to because where they're bedding and, and where they're feeding literally looks to be within 150 to 200. So close. Yards. So close. Yeah. And I think the, and this might, this is just from my observations. The the hotter it gets, the farther or the the least amount of effort they want to mm-hmm. make to get away from their. They don't want to move. They're like food. a human. Can you imagine sitting out there in hundred three? Lethargic, not, just yeah. like eh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know? No, no. I will say one thing that's different about that Shelley's youth season too, which is why we could go in there. We're hunting out of a rifle stand. Mm-hmm. So with Shelley, she just needs to be within a couple hundred yards, so you could distance yourself where can. Kentucky archery, you're within 25 to 30 yards, or Kansas muzzleloader, you're trying to get to 100 to 150 yards at, yep. at, at the max, really trying to get in tight on these. So you can't get as risky going in somewhere to hunt in the morning. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at basspro.com or cabelas.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit leopold.com. When you, with you and Shelly, so so everybody listening with the full moon thing, to go a little deeper on that, so what Mark was saying is you know, the deer stayed hunkered down the night before a little longer mm-hmm. than usual. They didn't get up and move because they knew it was going to be a full moon. It was going to be light out. They could feed all night. So fast forward to the next morning. Did you, like where you guys were sitting, was it between where they, destination food and bedding? Mm-hmm. Like how, how did that work out? So... We call it the log blind. I've hunted. I've I've hunted their opening day of rifle season. So eighteen. You're gonna twenty two years. Yeah, this will be my twenty second year. November fifteenth. I've sat there in that same blind. Shelley's hunted the opening day of rifle season there now for six years. Uh, we've done the youth season hunt for three. Um, she's so she has harvested three. So she's six year out of that stand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. 30 to 40 some deer out of that stand in my lifetime but in michigan you know how it is if you got a box blind you you hunker down right there it's not like you're moving a pop-up right. blind because the, the areas are so tight now where this stands at it's it's a location we put a we put food plots in front i just knew the last couple of years and we've got what we call a big circle plot off to the left so they're now food sources there the last couple of years but before that it was a transition point from 
corn fields and egg fields to bedding areas. And during rifle season in Michigan, when the war starts, deer are in the, in the feed, and then when, when they start, they hunker back to get in. And what I found is I hardly ever shot early morning out of that stand. It was usually around 11 to 2 really? o'clock. Because when guys it, are getting up and When moving. guys are getting up, they're bumping deer from areas that I think they bedded in that they didn't really want to, but I think the pressure just got them of, holy smokes, I, what's going on? I'm, I'm bang, I'm down. Mm-hmm. Okay, now their guy's getting up and moving, and those deer are getting bumped again, and they're like, where do I want to go? I want to get to my safety zone. So that's where I found it. But now with the food sources in front, the egg fields are still there, so I want to say we're with – to our east, there's 80 acres of standing corn. Um, to our northeast, there's another 100. Behind us, there's another 300. So there's ag, there's there's bedding areas of pine, fern, um, deep scrub brush. Uh, there's a swamp behind us, so there's water. So you literally got everything right here. And the, the stand's been so established that we've got shooting lanes in every direction. And we only hunted a couple times a year, so the deer early season are pretty – like they'll hit a shooting lane and it's not a sprint through. Yep. So that made it work. So you're trying to catch early season. You're trying to catch these deer when we hunt in the afternoon, getting up from their bedding area, starting their mows to get to a cornfield. So if you think about if they're hitting that cornfield right at dark, well, they're getting up from their bedding area 45 minutes and starting their their slow wander over and they may catch water on the way, but that whole time they're, they're wandering through our area. So normally like a normal youth season where I sit with Shelly and we hunt the afternoon, we'll see 50 to 60 deer. Most of them are does, young bucks, and you're targeting one, one shooter buck that's in the area. And it's if that deer gets up early or not, but you're seeing a bunch of deer and they're all working the same direction. Yeah. It's like in our stand, it's, they get up from the right where the bedding area is and they're all working to the corn. And as soon as you start seeing that first doe with a fawn, you're like, okay, it's starting. They're the first ones up and you can kind of find, yep. wander where they're going to and see the whole thing work. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. I was just curious of where it was located because not everyone has that situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just for the, you know, average hunter out there might not have the perfect location between the primary bedding and the primary food so going back to like kentucky <clears throat> i want to talk about deer and where they're bedding and everything on your farm mm-hmm. in september how far are those bucks going in the timber to the bedding areas off of the food normally on an average like how far how deep are they getting so i'll compare um this is 20 2022 2021 and 2020 um 2020, I shot 163-inch eight-point, just stud of a deer the day after my dad shot a high 140s deer out of the same stand. Okay. Those deer were the the same stand I had a a giant deer on this year. They bed within 70 yards of that stand. Okay. And the only reason we know that is because it's along a two-track, and if you catch it right, you can see them bedded in this – it's thick grass – in thick trees, but if you just drive drive our main road across really slow and you look in there, you can catch them every once in a while. So what you what that means is when you go into that stand, you got to be ultra quiet, going super early um, because they're right there. Where where I shot last year down there, it was the second day of of that first the first day. So it was Sunday I shot with Justin down there. We had those deer pegged that there was a bachelor group of eight bucks that were there. We had them pegged that they were on the neighbor's property, bedded about 100 yards away. Okay. 
And what we caught on camera was the same thing that happened. Younger bucks start rolling in first. All the bucks would be there some days at the same time. Bigger buck was always the last one to come in. So, but again, you know, you're think about how close a hundred yards is with how the wind is. You have so to close. get in there and make sure that the wind is perfect. Cause those deer are so close. And that t- like what I've learned and same thing here, listening to Shane in Kansas is those deer beds so close to the camera that you get them on where that food source is that you can get patterns, but it means you have to be so careful when you get in there. You can't be making noise. You can't go in on the wrong wind. You just got to make sure everything's perfect. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the you know, going back to like even the corn bedding, like the standing corn you talked about earlier. I was culprit of this. I always thought deer bedded in the corn. Mm-hmm. Like they're really not. Like no. they're they're within the you know first ten rows of the corn is yep. where they're usually bedding. Yep. Um, and it it varies. You know, once they get in the rut, a, a, you know, if the corn is still standing, a buck could take a, de- a doe on there, or vice versa. It doesn't yep. matter. But anyway, I was just always curious because. I feel like sometimes you have to get some creative entry as mm-hmm. far as like, you know, on that two track you have, do you guys like, you know, drive in there, keep the vehicle running and then somebody gets out and then the vehicle leaves? Like, how does that work? So usually on our first day of season in that, in the, in the stand, um, what we do is George will drive us in early, leave the UTV running. Cause we, you know how it is. You got to set yep. up the camera arm and it's yep. always, it's eight to 10 minutes of noise. Cause you got the ratchet strap oh, going. Yeah. You got the, the things going in the side of the tree cameraman. <laughs> cameraman making noise, but leave it going. Yep. Get, get that noise going. And that deer thinks, well, I hear UTV three to four times a week. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do anything. You get up in the stand, hunker down, give the thumbs up, drive out. And it does a lot. Of, it does a lot. Like I think about back when hunting in Michigan, we hunted a lot of farmland cause we come from a farming family deer never got skittish seeing a tractor or a truck mm-hmm. in, a, in an orchard. Not one time because they see them every single day of their life. Now, if that tractor or truck stops. That's when they have a problem. That's when they're like, oh, no, something's happening. Yep. I, I could definitely see that. And that's something, looking at my notes here, that um, I wanted to talk about because I think the entry at any time of the year or exit, people overlook that. Mm-hmm. I think it's – Definitely thinking outside the box as far as like on my farm at home in Michigan, you know, our cabin, I've, I've said it on my podcast, our cabin is like right in the middle of the farm. You know what I mean? And if so, you look at it now, it's the worst spot to build a cabin, right? It, well, it's perfect for where the cabin is for the cabin, but it's terrible for, for hunting. hunting. For yeah, hunting, yeah, it's yeah, terrible. Yeah. Because we drive a half mile back through our ag field. So if you want to <laughs> right, hunt the mornings. Right through the, the heart of the property. You're yeah. pooched because we have 65-acre ag field. That when you pull the headlights in, the deer just gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you really have to stay the night at the cabin, which isn't a problem if you want to hunt the next morning. But the thing is, too, like the deer, it's been there since 2002. So They're used to it. Exactly. Yeah. When, you, when you pull into the cabin, and even if you just don't even slam the door, like the deer know you're there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and, you know, there's a stand that I, I'm really honing in on this year, and it's probably – 400 yards from the cabin and you know i'm not hunting the deer that are sitting at the stand the moment that i get there like mm-hmm. they're probably not there they're yeah. i could be hunting deer that are bedded behind the cabin yep. you know what i mean so my whole thing being uh creative was like okay what if i park at the road 
either walk in or take a pedal bike in uh-huh. and just kind of go incognito a little yep, bit. Try to mix it up a little bit. Like nobody's on the farm. Yep. You know what I mean? Because when you drive to the middle of a 218-acre farm and you're banging around, you're not quiet, and usually there's other guys hunting with you, and it's like that little difference right there I think would be the difference of killing a good buck, you know, in, in, a, in a situation just like them. that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And it took me till this year to be like – I think that's the difference. You mm-hmm. know, I want an e-bike, but I think an e-bike no. would be perfect. Oh, that's a that's a good one. So at my house where I hunt in Michigan, I mean, you've seen it. My driveway's yep. smack down the middle of the whole property. Yep. So if you're looking at the property for a hunting property, it's the worst design ever. <laughs> so you have your driveway literally right down the middle of 120 acres to get mm-hmm. to your house that has cars go on it 20 times throughout the day. We've got a farm shop on it, got other things right in the middle of the property. But what I've noticed is the deer get used to it. Yeah. Like deer adjust to their their surroundings. So now use that to your advantage. Yeah. Like you, the deer are used to, to driving. So I park ultra close when I hunt my house. Like everybody's like park far long ways away. No, I park within 120 yards of the stand that – I shot that that big deer at during rifle season mm-hmm. and my archery deer last year in Michigan, 120 yards. I could see my truck from the stand. Yeah. But it was right along my driveway where people park all the time. So those deer are like, huh, nothing different. How many cars do you think go down your driveway a day, though? So, oh, let's see here. So if I count all the times that I would drive down, my wife or my son drives now, and he's driving Mach 10 on that thing. <laughs> um <laughs> I would say realistically, so 20 passes, 10 times in and out yeah. a day, 20 passes on, on the driveway. Um, and we live pretty close to my dad. He probably hits it once or once or twice a day, just miscellaneous stuff, but not a lot after five. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that window between five and 8.30, depending on who has practice, what, who's going, going where. There's not as many times, but through the, like through the morning, there's a rush of when you go leaving the school, going to work, doing all that stuff, midday sometimes after after work. But from that five point on, it's pretty quiet. And what I caught is those deer are used to the traffic. But I'll even have deer when I drive in between five, six, and seven. Like I'll pull in and, and they just stare at you 20 yards away. Like I don't know how many times I've, I've been in my – in my truck and I rolled down the window and just videoed a doe that's staring at me and, and she's literally staring at me. I've got the truck running and she, as she's staring at me, goes back down and starts eating while she's staring at me and me. You're like, oh, ultra scared here. Yeah. All right. But she's seen me drive that driveway a lot. five times a day, every day of the year. Yep. And she's like, no safety concern whatsoever. And it's the same thing. Like we run our dogs on the driveway. Again, worst thing you could do for a hunting area, but we run our dogs on that driveway. That, and yeah, you'll jump deer and those deer come right back because they're used to the dogs. And I look at that as I use that as an advantage of hunting now, that those deer are used to a lot of activity. We'll use that with you. Yeah. Use when a high activity time would be, get into your stand then and set. It's funny, like the moment that you uh, take – as dumb as it sounds the moment that you let the deer know that you're hunting them is when they freak out yep you know what i mean and you know i i heard a story back in the day this old boy um back in michigan is he had an old case international like 1066 tractor Uh whatever Uh i can't remember what it was but he would drive that you know to farm his field or whatnot well when he would hunt it or his family would hunt it the property he would make the people take that tractor 
You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, you know, same speed, same yep. gear. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, and he, he just figured it out and it was like, yeah, take this tractor and literally almost drive right to your stand, you know, kind of like you're saying. They'll be used to it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And leave it, you know, if you can leave it running and then obviously, <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah. but he's like, it worked. And I'm like, it's crazy, it's, but seems weird, but the deer have been used to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. And that's why I think in Kentucky, we have so much success of when, we get driven into stands and that noise covers up the, so if they're hunting out of a ground blind, the doors and, and all that stuff of just that, that first five to 10 minutes of getting stuff set, cameras adjusting yeah. and so forth. It just, and like even thinking about hooking up an ozone one, like just a little bit of dinging and noise. It takes this, like you try to be quiet or hooking up your safety harness, mm-hmm. one little clink on a piece of metal and you're like, nah. but if yeah. that, but if you've got a, uh, UTV running covers up that and the deer are like, well, I'm used to a UTV on, on this all the time coming. Well, in your Kansas or Kansas, your Kentucky farm, the driveway goes right through the farm. It goes right to the farm. We've got a cell and we've got a cell tower on it. So the cell company comes in there minimum four four to five times a week. And that can be frustrating because we were, I was youth hunting with Shelly last year and the cell company came in four times and we were hunting across, we were set up on one side of the two track hunting down a food plot, the other, and they drove in front of us four times. Yeah. And you're like, I'm sitting there like infuriated, but at the same time, I'm like, well, this is what we signed up for. Like there's a cell tower on here. And every time they drove by within three minutes, deer would come back out in the food plot and you're like, okay, it's not affecting the masses, but is it affecting the big one? Like obviously the big one never came out for us that time, but the other deer were used to it that they would go and I'm sitting there and you sit and calm down for a second. You're like, well, these people do this all every day. So the deer are used to it that they hit it and it's a rock driveway. So you can hear them coming the second they hit the gate. Yep. Yeah. What, so let's get back into, um, morning hunting September, if you would want to hunt a morning. So, this is where it kind of gets weird because I do know guys that will hunt, you know, if they're going on a trip to Kentucky or something like that, you want to, like, you want to maximize you, your time and you, you hear, you hear the saying, I can't kill them from the couch or inside yes. or can't kill them from there. Yes. And I, like I, I fully, so when I started hunting Kentucky, man would have been nine years ago. Now I was the same way. If I'm going there and I'm going to be there for five days, I don't want to focus on the afternoon because it just naturally statistics tell you, well, if I'm sitting in the morning, it increases my odds. It does, but so if you hunt the morning, do not hunt a food source, do not hunt water, hunt 100% travel. Or betting to try to get try, – you're, try, you're now trying, so you're not hunting a food source, you're in a holler and you're trying to do this. So I can honestly say – the number of deer I saw in the morning there by the time you get into the stand and the noise you make, I think I probably saw out of three years of hunting mornings, two does. Yeah. And finally you get to the point everybody else is waking up at 10 or 11, refreshed, had a good night the night before, and you're like, I got up at 5, hit the stand, saw nothing, started to sweat, and you're tired, and you're like, what am I doing this for? Yeah. And then you start looking at the trail cam photos you're like man if i make too much noise i'm buggering them off because again they're as we talked they're not moving long distances that time of year mm-hmm. so you can still mess up the food source that you're going to want to try to hunt so you're hunting really not even a top 10 stand you're just hunting a stand just now, to d- hunt yeah now don't get me wrong you can always get lucky mm-hmm. and it is increasing your odds but i look at that early season it's really got to be specific of why you're doing it don't like I encourage everybody, like in Kentucky, we just don't hunt mornings. You're gonna do, you're gonna do more harm than you are doing good. Like that early season, like here in Kansas, same thing. Just enjoy the hunt for what it is. 
knowing you're really focused in on that last 30 minutes of daylight. You're going to hunt the afternoon, but really you're there for the last 30 minutes of daylight, and that's what early season hunting is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree too. And, you know, and if you're going to hunt the mornings, you got to get up early. Like you said, it's going to be real early, and you got to go in deep. And, you know, and it's just tough. It is a tough game. I look at it, it's probably not worth it. It's it's not worth it. Now, if people want to do it, 100%, I'm not discouraging you from that. And you may shoot a good deer five or six years, once every five or six years doing that. Like, don't discourage it. But your highest chance success early morning, thinking Kentucky, Kansas, other spots, if you're using a bow or something, you got to get in close. Hunt the afternoon. Hunt the food or water source. Hunt the right wind and get in and focus because that deer is patternable. Mm-hmm. It's very regular. That's that's the beauty of hunting early season is that deer has generally been there every single day. Right. And it's at roughly the same time. It varies 30 minutes. So, again, is it that 15 minutes of last light? Is it the 15 minutes after it got dark? To where you're hunting October and you're hunting the rut or something, you may hunt six days and that deer doesn't pass by in six days. Mm-hmm. Beauty early season is that deer that you're hunting is, is there every day. Yep. Except you don't get to hunt all day to where you're hunting the rut. You could kill them at 10, 10 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon because that deer may come by at any point in time. Yep. So talking about patterns, how much merit are you putting on cameras? With trail early season, yeah, hundred percent, yeah, hundred. Li- are you living and dying by them? Hundred percent. They'll you? tell. They'll tell you, especially in Kentucky, because you can't you can't see them. Like you, you're, can't, you, you, you can't glass from the road. You can't. You can't. You can't see them. So it's a hundred percent what your trail cams are showing you. What, yeah. Like what? When is that deer coming in? What deer are with that deer? So if you're sitting in the stand and you see a small four point and you're like, man, that deer was with the big guy every time I saw him in the trail cam. Well, get ready because that deer's coming. Um, and same thing here in Kansas, it's, it's so spread out. You can see them, but you're still relying on that trail cam because here's the thing. If you don't see them before dark, what time did he come in the next night? Did he come in the next night? If he didn't, if he didn't come in the next night, did something mess him up that I'm not going to hunt him again until he's there? Because now all of a sudden you've only got so many days of early season. You just got to play your best odds every single day. Mm -hmm. And so let's say this hypothetical here, let's, let's say you're on your Kentucky farm. Um, and you have cameras on destination food. Let's say you start, this is before season going into September. Let's say you start getting a shooter on camera. Yep. Real, or, I mean, and you see that he's coming from the right to the left of the camera mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. Are you going to cast a little wider net? Are you going to go in there and, and deeper and throw cameras out maybe on like a, an entry trail or something like that to kind of really connect the dots? Or are you just going to let it marinate and just kind of, Try your luck. You so this is this is year three of having Bootleggers Ridge in Kentucky. So each year you gain more knowledge. Year one you'd go in and we didn't want to we didn't we had where our feed piles were, we didn't want to mess with anything because we were still by the time we closed on the farm it wasn't that much. We were learning as we went. Year two we had a we had a deer that first year we called browse, we hunted them and I couldn't couldn't get on them. Year two, we had him show up at the same spot that he was. Except this year we learned that from year one, we learned, well, as it got closer to the opening day, he would get less and less going there. Acorns were dropping, so he was feeding on a natural food source. So what we did, we took where we had him, put out a series of cameras around trying to catch him, get him closer. Well, what we found out is up the ridge, he was actually bedding off a highway 
but he had to walk about 125 yards down this ridge to get to where the where the feed was. So what we did, all right, there's an opening up there. We started feeding up there. We started to have them every night, right? Right on it. Now, where he was bedded was 100% correct because it was swirling wind up there. He had a highway on his backside. And with a with a ladder stand, when we tried to hunt him on, we couldn't do it. Yep. It was just he was so smart where he bedded, he put himself in a good situation. Man, it's it you know, when you get those bulletproof bedding spots like that where you know, he he you see deer will they use like a highway like that or use a structure or topography or something where it's like there's no way you're gonna get in on this deer. Because it, the thermals change in the hill country like that. It is so delicate so, with the wind. So we had we had him in a three acre where he was bedded. We had cameras that verified he was going in and out of this. He had a four lane highway with fences on both sides on the other side. He's not crossing that every day every day and living. Mm-hmm. So what he would do, he would literally go in bed with his backside to the highway. The wind would always be coming from up the hill where he's staring. And he knows he put himself to where he could not be killed if you went and sat on him like that. So we were going in there, and I had him. The cell cams is beauty, so you can be watching from Michigan. That's It's seven-and-a-half-hour drive. I can leave my house, be to my farm in Kentucky, leave early in the morning. I can hunt that afternoon. So last year, sitting there watching on trail cam, he is every night, and I'm like, perfect. And now I can play the winds, and I'm like, we're leaving in the morning. And we're walking in, and I'm like, we are going to kill this deer because it's a solid 15-mile-an-hour wind, the right direction he's going to leave. Damn deer was bedded eight yards off the road. We kicked him off as we were mm. walking in. Ugh. I literally, we kicked him off. I saw him. He ran away. I thought in the back of my head I should just go hop back in my truck and drive back to Michigan. He didn't show back up on camera for three days, but then he got in his, his rhythm again. Neighbor ended up killing him because he would come on us, and the neighbor for where that deer was bedded and what he did – had a better location to kill him than what we did because on his side of the ridge, the wind was going down on the other side. So that deer wasn't getting his wind as he got up, and the acorns just as they dropped led him that way, so he started feeding that way, and, and he got him. He's a heck of a deer. Mid-160s, yeah. his brow just <laughs> – just, but just an old, old body, yeah. just six-and-a-half-year-old ancient deer that you had – and I always say I played chess with him, and he kicked my butt every single time I tried to hunt that deer. I probably hunted him 12 to 15 times, and every time I thought I had him, nope. Man. But but just – and you say you hunt him 12 or 15 because I was focusing on perfect conditions to mm-hmm. go in there and hunt him because he was smart enough deer. But the hours, time, and energy we spent. So now take that. What did we learn from hunting that deer? That area up on top holds good deer every year, but it's really tough to hunt. So what we did is we went in there – clear cut out, put a food plot in there to give us more workings of being able to hunt different winds in there. Now our next step is we're going to put a box blind in there that we can control scent. So now you're in there, keep the windows closed. Is it going to be awful early season? Yeah, it's going to be 115 degrees in there. (laughs) But if there's a big deer there, okay, I'll sit in a sauna to do it. But I can control my wind. So as you learn the farm, you learn the areas, there's certain things that that you can do to adapt to where the deer are at. Now where we hunt on on the other part of our farm to where dad dad and I shot the the same deer and where that big deer was at early season this year I'm probably going to put a box blind there because it was set up this year as you know the hurricane hit the east coast caused a bunch of bunch of weather but I was set to go there and hunt that deer had him regular for 10 days before season 30 minutes before dark and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the right coming up the wind changed and I'm like 
if I sit there, I'm going to blow that deer out. He's going to leave my farm the first 15 minutes I hit that stand. So I'm sitting there, I had my hopes up, and I'm sitting there the whole time. I'm like, wind's wrong. I'm not even going. I didn't, as you know, I didn't even go down this year because I didn't want to blow that deer out. That deer's going to be on the farm later. Yep. I just got to hunt them when the moment's right. Like, don't force that when I 100% know if I sat in that stand that day with the wind the wrong direction, that deer would be gone to a neighbor's. And I don't know if the neighbors are hunting that he's in, they're going to kill that deer just on a, on me pushing him out that day, him trying to find a new area. Just don't go and don't go and force it. Now, here was the tough part for me. I had good deer on other areas of my farm. It wasn't a mid-170s deer like that deer was up front. So could I get in my head of saying, okay, the weather wasn't right to hunt that deer. Should I go and hunt another deer? Which, don't get me wrong, a mid-140s, 150 deer is a stud. We're Michigan guys. We're so. Michigan. <laughs> is a is a stud. Now, I'll probably never pass on one. But if I had a, a mid-170s deer showing up on camera every single day and just because the weather wasn't right to go and hunt that deer, should I go and hunt another stand that I probably could have had a, a, that deer and use my tag on that? And I just made the decision of, nope. It's a long season. Kentucky has one of the longest seasons. Starts the first Saturday. I think it goes to mid-January. So it's one of the longest seasons. You're going across an early muzzleloader season, archery in the rut. You're going across a rifle season. You're going across a late muzzleloader season. So I'm like, don't. Just don't make that decision. If you're going to try to lock in and kill this deer this year, don't hunt them in a bad wind. Focus at the long season. Get there when you can. So my next area of focus is going to be just looking at my schedule and, and coaching and so forth. I can get down there for that early muzzleloader season. And as you know, with the Gunworks muzzleloader, it can reach out and, and touch some things. Mm-hmm. If I can get him regular again and get back, I think I got a chance to kill him there. Yeah. So another hypothetical with the wind, are you the type of person that, like, let's say you're going to go in and hunt a, a, a specific deer and – you know, the wind's right, wind's good, you get in the stand, you get, you know, everything situated, you're sitting there for half hour sweating your bag nah. off, all of a sudden the wind switch and, and it is not good. It is, are you getting down? Early season? Yes. So, I'm going to give a couple couple scenarios. So, my dad, not this year, but the two years I pre- edited that hunt. The two yep. years previous, last year and the year before, the one that he killed in the stand, the same stand I did, the first day he got into that stand, this would have been... See, last year was 21, so in 20, he got in that stand. He texted me within 30 minutes that the wind is swirling. I text him back, get out of the stand now yeah. because those two deer, we had two shooter deer that were coming in there before dark every single day, and it wasn't a matter of if. It was just a matter of when. If the weather's right, we're going to kill one of those deer. Get out of that stand. We had a backup stand that, I mean, you're you're going to see deer. We had one shooter that was coming to it one every 10 days. So there was a chance, but he, he called it first night, backed out, got into our backup stand. Didn't see a shooter, but that night on the stand that he was sitting at, Buck both, showed up, didn't both the shooters showed up in daylight in daylight. So now you're playing. Well, if I would have sat there, would they have showed up in daylight? Yeah. But the next day, the wind was perfect. Got him back in that stand. He shot with an hour and a half left of light. Just, Torched it. First deer off Bootleggers Ridge. Great deer. Um, ecstatic. Got in there, got the deer out. Next night, well, we got back. I woke up the next morning, and, and the deer I ended up shooting, that 163, was on camera literally an hour after we got Dad's deer out of there. And I'm like, I'm going to roll the dice and go because the wind was right, and I shot him the next night. Mm-hmm. Now, last year, fast forward another year, 2021, 
dad was hunting that deer with the drop tine. I mean, just a stud of a deer. Same thing. Been in there before daylight every single time. Him and Adam got to the stand. Same thing. This time, though, dad learned from the one before. I got the text of, hey, we got to the stand. We were there for 30 minutes. Wind started swirling. We already bailed. We're walking out. We're going to meet you back at the lodge. They didn't even go anywhere else to hunt that night. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, you're not, you're punting really, all yep. right? You're not giving up what I you're did. You're not going for it on you're fourth not, down. No, I punted till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, again, for dad, it worked out two years in a row that the wind the next day was perfect. They checked trail cam. That deer showed up in daylight when they weren't there, but it, the wind literally had been blowing right at his face across the field that he walked in to get there. Next night, as you know, he smoked it. Yep. So two nights in a row, the wind was wrong, early season. Dad got down from the stand, backed out, ended up killing his target buck the next day with the correct wind. Yeah. And that's the beauty of early season is those deer are so patterned. You know the deer is going to be there. So don't mess it up when that deer is when that deer is there. So I can say I had the reverse because I was hunting that browse, and you're up there, and we're sitting in there, and he's regular. But by the time I got there and it was swirling wind and how we had to get up this ridge to get there, I'm like – I rolled the opposite dice. Wind swirling. Went we're, forward on four. We're going to take our chance and go for it. Deer never showed up the next four yep. days, and you're like, mm, didn't work out. Yep. But I was up there and going, we're going to do just as much damage if I got to try to walk out of here because that was when George drove us in there. And it's, I mean, it's a 330-acre farm, but it hunts like it's seven miles long, as mm-hmm. you know, to hunt from one side to the yep. other. So to get there, it was a 25-minute UTV ride to get up there. I'm like, man, if we walk out of here, it's going to take us an hour and a half. Plus, we're going to make all this noise, and we're going to have to walk right past where he's bedded. So I'm taking the chance that we roll in here, and maybe he makes a mistake and comes from another area, or we just catch him. Never worked. Yeah. But it was just one of those. At my house, like, I, I tell you the story a lot. It's not early season, but the wind swirls so much along my house is that I can't catch a steady wind. To where a lot of the times I'll be sitting there and I'll roll the dice and just say I'm a, I'm a sit and ride it out and it is what it is. Yeah. But early season, I can say if you're in a spot that you know a deer is coming regular and the wind's not right, get out. Don't don't bugger it. Punt till tomorrow if you've got yeah. the time. Punt till tomorrow. I punt a lot. Like I'll get up even in October. In, you know the rut is an exception, but I'll I'll punt. I'll get in a I'll get in a spot. I remember last year, no, two years ago three different sits i mean it i would sit there for an hour and a half and all of a sudden that thermals would change and the mm-hmm. wind would go to like this fence gap that I'm, I'm hunting and i'm like the deer has to be right here for me to kill it i'm like if he gets here or if there's does that come through first they're gonna, gonna blow it. Yep. i would get down and it's like the prime time and i would text my buddy he's like you're getting down i'm like you don't understand like you're you're, you're ruining that spot exactly if, that, if that's the spot and like how many how many i never asked you this how many spots in michigan do you have how many tree stands do you run well, I do a, a lot of mobile, so I'm, okay. I'm hunting. Like I'm taking, I'm going in by, you know, hanging and le- and, and taking it down. Oh, hanging back, yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot. But how many different? So, I mean, you still have to have areas semi set before you get so, to do that. Yeah. So right now, I mean, on a average, I'm I'm probably twenty to twenty five different areas that I really hone in on. Uh-huh. But it, you know. That might not get hunted. It might only be eight of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Depending on where the deer are showing up and everything. But um, yeah, I would say on average probably eight to fifteen. Maybe not even that much. You know that I'm really focused. I'm trying to on. think now. So I've got four at my house. At our other other family farm, we've got fourteen. I think so. We're pushing that eighteen. Yep. Number um, total. But again, out of the eighteen, like I can tell you, 
three are the spots that I'm going to kill. Exactly. Where the big deer's at. Yep. So you're like, I want to get in those, but don't mess those spots up. Yes. So like on, on my family farm, we just got it logged, like a ton of it logged in two, in COVID year. So it had been spring of 20, Okay. Yeah, I yeah. think. And it totally changed the deer movement. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, you know, I've been hunting this ground my whole life, but now it's like almost have to relearn it. Like the deer are moving totally different. So you're two years after that now, though. Yeah. Do wait till next year and after that, because you're you're probably getting all this regrowth to come in right now. The regrowth is ridiculous. You're gonna right you're now. gonna have so many deer on your property. That's the same thing that happened out at the lake when when we started building there. We had a bunch of tree diseases and mm-hmm. beached and and all these different things. So I made the decision of instead of having these trees die one at a time and falling, we're just going to go in and, and get it over with it's going to look ugly we we got all the tr- trees with diseases out and all the neighbors are like oh my gosh you raped and pillaged the whole area it looks horrendous three years later like man we should do that everywhere because now look at all this regrowth is coming up everything's alive mm-hmm. all the deer in the area are on mine because they've got things to eat and protection all year long and you know this if you hold the does Bucks are going to come during the rut. Well, you you proved that last yeah. year with the buck that you shot with your rifle. Like yeah. You've never knew that deer was existed. I've got, and you know me. I've got cameras just about on every freaking tree in my place to see what's going on. <laughs> yeah. that, and all of a sudden, this deer just shows up new, random, second day of rifle season. Like yeah. That just... You keep the does, though, you never know what's going to roll in. Yeah, and I'm looking for that. I call it the rinse and repeat. I'm looking for those three to five spots or whatever that mm-hmm. it's like... You know, those are the rinse and repeat. You wait for those to, you know, it's going to be hot the 25th through the 31st of October. That's when I go hunt Boy, that. So, so before we came here to Kansas, like I was just getting the rest of the stand set and all the cameras out at home getting set for archery. And my dad always hits me, where's, where, okay, so you're going to be gone on October October 1st. Shelly and I are going to be antelope hunting in Colorado. Dad's planning to go out with my nephew, Alec, and he's like, where, where, if the wind's doing this, where should I, if the wind's doing this? And we've got one stand that it's on the corner of a cornfield. We cut off five acres and put a food plot in. The river butts up to the side, huge bedding area, old crab apple trees on the other side. It is the best tree stand in the area to hunt if we've got a wind coming out of the south. It is killer any time of the year. But I tell dad, I said, let me play the camera because that first week of October, if I don't see a big deer on there, don't, no reason don't to there's go no there. reason to hunt it. Now, third week of October, completely different. Mm-hmm. Ruts starting up, absolutely hunt there because you never know what's going to go on. But that first week, don't don't rush it and go in there. Because you, as I mean, you know how it is. If you hunt a stand, there's still a chance of blowing out something. Even if yes. you hunt with a perfect, perfect wind, there's just so much food and everything around there. Like, don't don't rush that. Let the camera tell the story early season, even though it's early October. It's the same thing in September. Of like, don't go in there if the camera isn't showing what it is early season. Yeah. Now all that goes out the window come October and November and the rut. It all goes out because those bucks are chasing for miles. But early season, their range is so short. And even that first week of October, like, yeah, they're doing scrapes and rubs and starting, but they're not moving miles because there are no does to chase to move miles. They're still coming to feed and doing it. Now, along their way, they're like, I don't know why why I have the urge to scrape up this ground and pee here, (laughs) but eventually they're they're doing it. Like, I actually caught – our, our circle plot, I, I moved, like I always readjust from youth season. I mm-hmm. moved my cameras around, getting ready now for, for archery season. I did that, and as I was going to the corner of this food plot, I'm like, holy smokes, there's already a scrape on the ground. 
your first scraper, and you're yeah. like, "What was that buck thinking?" Like, I've still got smaller bucks in velvet, and this one's mm-hmm. out here scraping already. So, kind of not go down the rabbit hole of scrapes, but it's something I've the last two years I've really been diving into mock scrapes quite a bit, and I'll start I'll start my mock scrapes in the spring, and. What I use is I use Buck Fever Synthetic. It's a forehead gland, and I only put it on the branch, okay? I don't put anything in the ground. I just rough the ground up. I have does and bucks all year, 365 days, playing with that scrape. Now, um, it, it's crazy because I've been monitoring them with cell cams, and it's really shown me um, how much I can pull or how far I can pull a deer, a, a buck. I can pull a deer... A, a decent amount of distance to to start checking that checking line. That, yes. Yep. And now, it's crazy. When you do a mock scrape, we're digging off early season here, but when you do a mock scrape, do you do multiple on a on a line to get it kind of like, hey, this is where I'd there's a there's a deer trail here, but I'm gonna mock scrape this deer trail that happens to go through the center of my property to try to get bucks to hit that. Yes. So I've done both this year. I've 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 done one to where you know, I put one here, right, I mean, right on the edge of a bedding area. I mm-hmm. mean, literally right on the hard edge. And then I went off, I think it was 100 and ended up being like 168 yards. I put another one mm-hmm. and then I made, I think it was like 70 yards in the other direction. I put another one and I put cell cams on all of them. So I mm-hmm. made like a triangle, but it was kind of a, how the, it kind of looks like a triangle, but it's kind of a line here. And I wanted to really monitor okay, if he hits A, does he hit B, and then does he hit C, and where does he go? So I really got uh, micro with it, and I have yet to have a buck hit A, B, and C. I'll have him hit A and B or B and C, you know what I mean? Or he might hit B, but that tells me a lot. So Mm -hmm. I have one buck that's a real good deer, loves scrape B. Mm Mm-hmm but will not go to A or C or, you know, whatever. So I'm like, okay, where the hell is he coming from? Why isn't he not hitting those other scrapes? So that narrows down, and it's crazy. I went in there and kind of scouted a little bit a couple weeks ago and found why I think why he's coming to this scrape is because he's got – the oak the acorn crop is crazy this year, and he's got got like oaks, and he's only hitting it on a specific wind too – those big deer, this old deer, are just so freaking smart. It is, and it, you can see it on cell cam. He'll come in from the same direction, and he will J hook and make sure he gets the wind right. And it's on a south wind. He comes in. He, he'll come from the west. He'll come from the west. But then when he gets into that little area, he will J hook and he'll come in from the north to hit that scrape every time. That's funny. And I'm and like, it's so wow. smart. Yeah, so smart. It just makes you think, like. I've learned so much just from monitoring that, and but I have bucks and and does hitting it all year. And now, I had my first deer pee in one um, the other day. I say the other day. We're in mid September now, but it was like September fourth. I had a buck peeing in early, mm-hmm. so early. Older buck or younger buck? L- young buck. Young buck. No yeah. idea what they're doing. Just N- not a clue. Not a clue. Just there. Yep. Yeah, little little uh, teenager that's just feeling weird. Yeah, you know? doesn't know what that urge is, but yeah. it's coming. Yeah. So hey, we're at time though. Yeah. Um, I guess on cl- in closing, to wrap up this September thing, if you had one thing to tell somebody that wants to do a September hunt, what would be that thing to really pay attention to, or that would make them have maybe a little bit bit more success? A little more success. I mean, 
obviously it's, it's one thing if you're doing it if you're going with an outfitter like go with the, go with the best best outfitter that you can somebody that's got success in early mm-hmm. season but that early season it, it's a I tell everybody to be really successful it's that mindset that you have to get over of not hunting every minute of every day like you've you've been on enough early season yep. hunts now right yep it's like the most relaxing hunt that you can go on we're watching football today. we're watching we're watching football <laughs> we're going to catch the afternoon nfl games probably even get into some of the second games before we had it out today and for guys that travel on hunts or even guys that that do it themselves they, they, they like to put a lot of pressure on one thing about an early season hunt is okay so if it doesn't work out You've got the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Just use it for what it is. Don't rush that early season. Use it for what it is, knowing that you're going to hunt afternoons. Have it be a relaxing type thing. Now, for me, like you know, I'm, I'm type A. I like to go and, and be yep. active. I got to figure out something to do all day. I, I love physical hunts that I, I wake up in the morning, strap something on my back, and, and hike. So it took me a long time to to do that. Hey, I'm gonna sleep in. I'm going to relax during the day. We're going to watch some football. We're going to eat lunch, and then you're really going to focus in. But when you focus in, those deer are extremely patternable. Make sure you got the wind, everything right, and you'll go in there. And if you have those right, you've seen what it is in Kentucky with success rates. Like Salt River's success rate, early season archery hunting on Pope and Young Deer, this year deer above 150 is insane. Ridiculous. Do it right. Control the wind. You're going to kill some giant Shane here in Kansas. Like, same thing. Like, Dude, 170 inch deer, like they're pest squirrels out here. He's averaging 170 inch deer and like 100. percent Yeah, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous to say that yeah. out loud. And you're like, what? But it is yeah. what it is. I couldn't agree more though. Like almost like play that long game. I know if you're traveling somewhere to hunt, let's it's, say you're coming from a Michigan to a Kentucky. Yep. You, let's say you only have three days to hunt. Don't feel like you have to hunt every morning, every mm-hmm. night. I would, you know scout and really try to figure something out and then move in it you might be sitting for one sit you yep. might be playing for one sit and that's mm. you know go and calculate it i couldn't agree more with that yep so very cool man well thank you very much for doing this no well, as always thanks for coming on buddy yeah well, let's uh, go kill a big deer tonight i hope so let's watch a little football first good luck to everybody out there this season Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.